So I want to start this morning as we, as we get ready to wrap up the book of Hebrews with a little bit of a recap of really where we've come through the book of Hebrews. Now I'm going to try to keep the intro this morning somewhat short and just do it by um, reminding us of some of the things that we've been studying in Hebrews. And I'm hoping that um, as I read through and talk about briefly some of these things in the previous chapters, that it will remind you of the places that we've been in the book of Hebrews and kind of bring to your remembrance the, what, what God has spoken to us. Now we know as we've studied through the book of Hebrews, we, we've tried to keep in our, in our minds the premise that helps keep the book of Hebrews in context. And the context of the book of Hebrews is that Paul is writing to a group of Hebrews, Jewish Christians who were um, at one point followed God according to the law of Moses and followed Judaism and have come out of Judaism and and received Jesus as their Messiah and and are now following. And then listen, they follow the same God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And and they just are following under a different dispensation or a different um, uh, law now that Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple rent. And many of these Hebrew Christians who were coming to faith in Christ as their Messiah were struggling with what part of the Old Testament should they follow and what part of the laws and the rituals did they need to keep. And so Paul has made a case 13 times in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better. Better than what? Well, he's better than Judaism specifically. But then he goes through all the key points in Judaism that that Jesus is the fulfillment of and that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Moses, the law, the prophets. He's better than the sacrifices. Jesus is our great high priest, better than the priests of the Old Testament system. That Jesus is a better way, a better fulfillment. That Jesus is better. As we started in Hebrews, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. And he has in these last days. Now, the last days, Paul wrote this um, you know, 2,000 years ago, and he used this term, these last days. And the last days refers to the, the period that we're in now and, and really that, that all through all of the last history since Jesus, the Bible is, is written in the New Testament and the believers and the writers of the New Testament, they believed that Jesus could come back in their lifetime. And some people will mock that idea and mock that, that, that way, but God intentionally set it up that way. And Paul and Peter and on in the first century, in the second century, in the third century, that as you read the Bible as a child, you lived in such a way that you believed that Jesus could come back at any moment. And the Bible says that, that we'll never know the day or the hour. So if anybody tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, you know it's not true. Because the Bible says that don't let that deception happen. It's deceived many in the church. Many. We had a, a very famous pastor called Harold Camping out of New York a couple of years ago who made a big national campaign that he knew the day and the hour that Jesus was going to come back. And many, many people followed him. One particular case that stands out in my mind was a, was a rich gentleman in New York who emptied his bank accounts and his savings of $400,000, bought billboards and advertisements and, and TV, TV commercials to advertise and tell folks to get ready that Jesus was coming back. And the day that Harold Camping predicted, I think it was in 2016, came and went. And do you think he went away? He said, oh, no, I did my math wrong. There's another day. I got this other day. Well, that day, unfortunately, or fortunately, has already come and went. And what happens is people's faiths get destroyed. And people who believe this, you know, all they had to do was read the Bible. The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. But when we live with the expectancy that Jesus could come back at any moment, 
that's God's intention. It was God's design all the way through. Now, we, we have signs of the times. We live 2,000 years later, and we're seeing things that absolutely the Bible predicted that were never true of any other generation. Today, as, as I speak to you today, Russia has warships headed towards Turkey loaded with, with um, tanks and armored vehicles and, and things that are going to land on the shores of Turkey. And why is that significant? Because the Bible says in Ezekiel 37 that one day that Israel would be reborn as a nation. And for 2,000 years, we lived with no Israel. For us, we, we've always understood and, and had Israel, we take it for granted. But if you lived in 1920, in 1820, in 1720, there was no such thing as Israel. Just an obscure Bible prophecy in Ezekiel 37 that said one day God would gather all the Jews from around the world and he would bring them back to a homeland. Menachem Begin, Menachem Begin, Menachem Begin, the prime minister of Israel at the time, he said to the world, May 14, 1948, he opened his Bible to Ezekiel 37 and he said, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your, your sight. And that, and that God, and he prophesied these dead bones will, will again, they will breathe. These dead bones again will live. And he prophesied, and, 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 and since 1948, we've seen an aliyah, a return to Israel from all over the world. And today, Israel is one of the greatest nations in the world in so many ways, economically and militarily. And the, 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 the technology that comes out of Israel, it, it powers the, every cell phone that's in your pocket. It powers every, all the medical technology that's in the hospitals and the exports and the imports. And what Israel has done as a nation since 1948, every Nobel Peace Prize winner has, has been Jewish and has come from this, this blessing of God. So in Ezekiel 37, we see that God says and he prophesied that Israel once again would be a nation. May 14, 1948, it, it happened. And then in, in Ezekiel 38, the next fulfillment of biblical prophecy, God says that in the last days, in the time of Jesus' return, there would be a war against Israel and that ten nations would gather against Israel and, and would attack them and that nobody would come to their aid. And we've always misunderstood or not understood how can the United States, a friend of Israel, not be there? We don't know, but we won't come to their aid. Only God will come to their aid. But the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 38 what that who the ten nations will be. And, and today they're all Muslim nations. And, and it says that they'll be led by three powerful nations. Gog and Magog, the enemies to the north. And if you draw a line from Jerusalem directly north, you come to Moscow. That it'll be Russia, it'll be Iran, and it'll be Turkey that will lead the charge against Israel in the last days. And so when you see Russia and Turkey and Iran building armaments on the border of Israel, it's definitely a, a red flag that goes up that we're living in a, in a day of the sign of the times. And if we've seen Ezekiel 37 fulfilled in our lifetimes, well, not my lifetime, but some of your lifetimes. And Jesus said the generation that sees the, the fig tree rebutting will be the generation that will see the coming of the Lord. And so we have this, this prophecy, and Jesus said he will be returning and we live in those days these last days and then he says um in verse one and I, I can't do this with every verse we go through there sorry um we're going to move a little faster so i'm still chapter one just a little recap in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things so it says in former days he spoke to the prophets but in these last days the day that we live in that god is going to speak to us through his son 
John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. One of the titles of Jesus is the Word of God. He's the living Word of God. And so in these last days, God is going to speak to us through Jesus. He's not speaking again through um, private interpretation of prophets and prophecies and revelations. It says right here in Hebrews chapter 1 that in these last days, God is going to speak to us through his word and through his son. And then as we go on in chapter 2, there's a warning. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And so in chapter 2, we we have a, a warning of drifting away from the faith. Any of you guys ever know somebody who was walking with Jesus and has drifted away into sin or other lifestyles today? Anybody know of somebody who just used to walk with the Lord and doesn't today? It's a possibility. And we don't want to become a casualty or statistic. And there's an encouragement through Hebrews for us to not fall away, not walk away. You know, there's a simple recipe. and It's something that we say here often, we do here often. I know you guys get tired of it, but it is real and it's true and it's impactful. It's, it's our saying is read your Bible and pray every day. It's a simple thing. You don't want to drift away. You don't want to fall away from your faith. You stay close in your relationship with Jesus. You stay intimate. You pick up your phone and you talk to him. You, you spend time with him. You relate to him. You be intimate with him. And it's a simple recipe of read your Bible and pray every day. But I think as the Apostle Paul warns us here in Hebrews that twice, and then in, in chapter 3, in verse 12, The highlight is, beware, brethren, lest there be any of you of an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So in the beginning of Hebrews, the warning first that God's going to speak to us through Jesus. And then he begins to say that we can fall away. And he warns us against falling away. He warns us against becoming apathetic in our faith. And then then as we get towards the end of the book of Hebrews, he's going to say, hey, um, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. That just means come to church. It says it in the Bible. Why? Because you don't, oh, people tell me, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't. But if you're a Christian, you should want to go to church. You know, I told you guys about the soccer fan a hundred times, right? The world's greatest soccer fan. I'm the world's greatest soccer fan. Oh, really? You love soccer so much. You must really watch every game um, on TV. No, I've never seen a game on TV. But I'm the world's greatest soccer fan. Oh, you must go personally to the games. Well, no, I've, I've never actually been to a game. Oh, you must really play a lot of soccer then to be the world's greatest soccer fan. No, I've never kicked a soccer ball in my life. Well, what makes you the world's greatest soccer fan? There's no evidence in your life. You say you're a Christian, there's some evidence in your life. And part of that is just gathering together with other believers. And the reason why God tells us to do what we're doing this morning, it's because it sharpens you. It you. It keeps you from falling away. It keeps you from drifting. It puts yourself each week in a position for God to speak to your heart. And we're called as believers to gather together. And so encouraged to do that so that lest we, we drift away. And then in chapter 4, in verse 3, he says, For we who have believed do enter rest, as he said. I don't know if you guys remember chapter 4 of Hebrews, but it was a great Sunday. If I don't say so myself. No, I'm just kidding. But it was the Spirit of God showed up. And, 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 and really through Hebrews 4, God encouraged us as a fellowship that we rest in Jesus. That we can relax in Jesus. There's rest in Jesus. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that, and that in Jesus, there's, there's just rest that God promises. And then in chapter 5 and verse 6, and he also says in another place, you are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And in chapter 5, we began to introduce this character in the Bible called Melchizedek. And we explained through the book of Hebrews who Melchizedek is, who Melchizedek isn't. 
and that, that there is no other Melchizedek priesthood other than Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our high priest, and that he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And because the priesthood of Melchizedek is designed and limited to the God of heaven, Jesus himself, that nobody else qualifies. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. And nobody fits the category of king of righteousness and king of peace other than Melchizedek laid out for us very clearly in, in, in um, Hebrews. And for chapter after chapter, so five, Paul introduces it. And then in chapter six, he kind of gets on us a little bit. And you remember the message was grow up. There's a time for us as Christians to step up in our faith, to walk in our faith. And it says, therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. He told him right, right after that that he wanted to unpack this idea of Melchizedek, but that they weren't ready. They should have been growing in their faith. And, and, and now he's kind of chastising them a little bit. He's encouraging them that as Christ followers, that it's expected of us, listen, that we grow. You're not guaranteed to grow as a Christ follower in your relationship and your love and your knowledge of Christ unless you put that work in. You eat enough tacos and pizza, your body's going to grow. Your life's going to grow, but your spiritual body, I know, I like me some tacos. I, I want a hot body, but I love tacos and pizza. But um, your spiritual body, your spiritual being grows as you put the work in, as you get close to Jesus, as you be a student of the word, as you involve yourself in fellowship in serving and giving of yourself. And then you grow spiritually. And Paul is encouraging these group of Hebrews, you guys should be growing in Christ. And so we talked about that. And you probably remember those sermons. And then in chapter 7, we get into Melchizedek. And he lays out for us exactly what Melchizedek is and who Jesus is. To seven one For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth, that he was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of Man, remains a priest continually, a description that will only fit Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, we come to it. It says that in verse 1, the main point is that we have such a high priest who's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. So we've spent chapter after chapter getting into who Melchizedek, or that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But why is that important to you and I? And in chapter 8, Paul tells us that that's important because a high priest has a function in your life. The high priest ministers to you. He meets your needs. He does the things that, that you need to be done for you as a kind of as a pastor and a priest figure that Jesus is your great high priest. That he counsels and he's a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and he's, a, he's compassionate and he's there for you and he's a teacher and all these things that you would look for in a priest and a pastor and a leader that Jesus is that for you and that he's the great high priest. And then you're, you know, the people, the earthly people around you that lead you spiritually, they may let you down. But look unto Jesus. He'll never let you down. And then in chapter 9, we come to um, the last part of 9, verse 28. And it says, Christ was offered once to bear sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Just another biblical promise that Jesus is going to come back. And then in chapter 10, 
in verse 25, it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And then in chapter 11, we get the great faith hall of fame. Chapter 11 is faith. Chapter 12 is hope. And what we're going to hopefully get to today, chapter 13, is um, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so we'll start in um, love in chapter 13. But it says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed in the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are not visible. Chapter 12, we get the first and the most um, powerful. Therefore, in this chapter, after 11 chapters of information, Paul tells us how to apply it to our lives. And he says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So that brings us to the end of the book. And now in chapter 13, if you guys with me, chapter 13, verse 1, you guys there? You're like, yeah, we've been there for a half hour. Anybody? Ready? All right, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, let brotherly love continue. So um, the language of this is not like start loving each other. It's, it's continue. It says right there, continue. And even in the language, it's an encouragement for the church and for the Hebrew Christians to, to maintain and to continue their love one for another. You know, Jesus said, and I think it was kind of radical, and to me it's always um, kind of counterintuitive, but because Jesus said it, it makes sense. But Jesus said, it's your love one for another. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples. So when, when, when the world sees you, how do they know you're different? How, how, do, you, how do you not just blend in as, as everybody else and, and worldly people? And one of the things that Jesus said that the world will look at you and they'll see something that's special and they'll know you're a Christ follower, you would think that it would say by your love for the world, by your love for the lost, by your love for your neighbors. But actually what Jesus said wasn't how we love lost people or people outside of the family of God. Jesus said they'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. When we go on missions trips, you know, one of the things that we teach and encourage our, our short-term missions and missions, we're going to be on the the fields in, in the Philippines, for example, and we're going to do some street witnessing. And we have, a, we have a group, and they're going to play some songs, and one of the brothers is going to share a testimony, and we're going to um, invite the people to a local church. And as we go out on the streets to witness, we're, we're going to love the people. One of the pastors, he was infamous for it. He, you know, you, you just assume that when you did some street witnessing or some missionary work with this particular pastor, he was going to come home naked every time. Why would he come home naked every time? Because he would give everything that he had away to the people that we went. He would literally take the shoes off his feet, the shirt off his back, and he would give it if somebody had need and he had something, he was going to give it to them. And, and he loved the people that we went out to. And you would think, again, that people would see him giving his stuff away. And they would think, man, these people are of Christ. But what Jesus said, again, was a little different. Jesus said, actually, it's your love one for another. So, again, we encourage us, encourage the folks. Hey, make sure we're loving each other. The people are going to notice that. I can give you a shirt and be pretentious and phony and then be fighting with the guy that's standing next to me and arguing with him and, and upset with him. And, and the, the world is just going to see hypocrisy. And so we're encouraged. One of the things, the main thing that we're encouraged as Christ followers is to be a people who love. It really is what has to set us apart from the rest of the world. And, and, and it's encouraged. I think we do, we do a decent job of it here, right? Loving each other, praying for one another, ministering to one another's needs. 
We started a prayer ministry to try to be obedient to this verse where, you know, the part of loving each other is praying for each other, meeting each other's needs. We have a meal ministry so that if you're, if you're sick or if you're in the hospital or you're in need, that the church will provide some meals for you within the house. But it's definitely something that as a church we want to focus on. Paul's going to go through five real practical things that he wants for the church. The first one, again, is, is for us to love each other with brotherly love. The word brotherly love is Philadelphia. And then in verse 2, it says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. So one of the things that we, we see is that um, angels, whenever they appeared in the Bible, they always appeared in the appearance of a man. But, but even though they appeared in the appearance of a man, you know, there was times where there might have been a little confusion with the person who the angels appeared to. But there was always something, you'll note, there was always something special about them. When Abraham, when the angels of the Lord appeared to Abraham um, and he brought them into the tent and he cooked for them, he, he noticed something immediately about him that was special and different. And then Paul says here, be careful. And, and he says, actually encourages us in hospitality. Part of, part of it is, first, we want to love. And second is, we want to be a people that are hospitable. And part of being hospitable is entertaining strangers. And he says, be, be careful and, and be willing to be hospitable and have people in your home and entertain strangers because some have unwittingly entertained angels not knowing it. Now, I, now that might mean there's angelic beasts that look like humans and they come around and test you and, and, and you, should, you don't want to mess that one up. You don't want to be rude and kick them out. You want to make sure that you're, you're welcoming and inviting. So be welcoming and inviting. But I, but I will say also that this, this word angel it means messenger. So it can be translated a, 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 an angel, an angelic being. It can also be translated, the same word, um, as a messenger. In the book of Revelation, the same word is used to describe the messenger to the angel of the church of Thyatira. It's an angel. It was actually a person who was either a pastor or a leader of the church. And the letter was addressed to the messenger of the church of Thyatira. So, so a messenger can just be somebody who, who brings God's word, somebody who brings a message from God to your life, to your house. But again, that we should be hospitable. Now, again, there, I think there's a warning. I don't want to say that, you know, you came to church and I told you you have to just pick up every stray dog and stranger on the street and entertain them. That's not really the wisdom of God, right? That, that Abraham understood, especially for women, you know, you don't pick up hitchhikers and for safety reasons in the world we live in, that you also have to be very careful when you entertain strangers. But I think through really just the wisdom of God, the spirit leading you, if the spirit just leads your life, you seek the Lord. And if God puts something on your heart and gives you compassion towards somebody or someone that we're, we're as Christian people to be hospitable and love and entertain um, strangers, whether they be um, angelic or just messengers or just people in the body of Christ, that we, we can do that. And then it says, um, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are ministered since you yourselves are in the body also. Listen, we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are in chains today, right now as we speak in prisons. In China, they're, they're, in, they're in prisons in, in Turkey. Turkey houses and, and, and imprisons lots of Christians and leaders in the Christian church. Um, in Iran, in, in all over the world, just for the simple fact of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul tells us to remember those that are in prison, to pray for your brothers and sisters around the world. And then also it says that um, to remember those in prisons. You know, for us, we have a new prison they're building out here on the 80. You guys seen it? I've been praying for that. And I want to tell you guys as a church family, 
There, I, I think that we will have, and we're going to look for and be praying. I want you guys to join me. If God puts it on your heart, we want to get involved in that prison out there when it gets started and it gets going. We, we will have invitation and opportunity to, to do services in there, to minister in there, to have a presence in the prison. It's something that's, that's a, it's an open door for us. So as soon as that thing comes online and it becomes an option, it's something that I've been asking the Lord for, something I personally want to do, and, and there will also be opportunity for you know, some of you to join and be a part of prison ministry in the new prison that comes. But that's something I think that's just biblical all the way around, something God wants us to do. And, and you have a captive audience. <laughs> you folks, you, 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 you guys can get up and leave if you want. I love to preach to them. They're not going anywhere. And then chapter verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now, I have that highlighted in my verse, the part about God will judge. There's two parts to this. There's a good part. And then there's a warning part. So the warning part is that God will judge. Now, unfortunately, you, a lot of preaching, a lot of churches around the world, because it doesn't fill seats very well, they don't like to talk about the things of God's judgment or God's sin or, or things that are sin that will bring about God's judgment. But I don't think it's very loving. They do it under the guise of loving and of seeker-friendly, and, and they, they fill a lot of chairs and they, you know, they, 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 the biggest churches in America is this model of seeker-friendly. And part of the seeker-friendly model is you just, you don't deal with sin. You don't deal, and then you have to, you don't preach verses like this. You know, I spoke to one guy, and I was working um, in a warehouse when I first moved here to Tooele, and um, was bivocational for a couple years before the church got to the point where, where I couldn't do that anymore. And he would tell me, you know, how could, how could this God that you say you serve and love and I just I can't I could never serve a God who who's a God of wrath and could send people to hell. And, and I said, you don't understand the concept of how somebody he said, I'm just about love. I'm a loving person. And he would tell me that all the time. I just love I just I'm just about love. And I don't understand this this judgment side of God. And he, he just recently had a daughter. And I said, let me ask you a question about your daughter. I said, as your daughter grows up, if if, if one night you you discover that. There's, there's a, a strange man in your daughter's bedroom who's broken in your house to harm your daughter and rape her. What would you do? And he just got this look on his face like he was serious and like he got into this hypothetical question. He said, I, I would shoot him in the face. And I said, well, of course you would. And I said, but you're a person of love. And yet you would shoot this guy in the face. Why? And do and, and you not understand how a God of love can also have wrath? We, we all, we possess the capability to protect those that we love. And listen, you just, we were not doing anybody a service to preach the truth of what God's word says. I don't, I don't write the mail, I just deliver the mail. And here it says that, that, that God will judge this particular sin in your life and my life, so I wouldn't be doing you justice if I just didn't warn you and tell you in love that God is serious about you having sex outside of marriage. That it says here in fornication and in adultery, and the reason why he lists both in the same vein, you would think fornication would cover both. But, but to some audience in, in the first century, you know, to the Romans, it was very culturally acceptable to have a, a wife. That you, you, you put a ring on it to have your babies and your legitimate children, and you had a mistress and, and, and a concubine, and it was okay. It wasn't considered outside the bounds of cultural um, normalcy. But Paul here, so Paul mentions it covers it all. If you're cheating on your wife, 
sex outside of marriage, it's fornication. And God forbids it. You know, one of the things when we talk about this area of, of, of sex with the kids is just encouraging them that, listen, because the, the Satan's going to lie to them and um, that, that they should and they want to for, for good reasons because God loves them to protect themselves in the area of sexual purity. And I tell them, listen, God doesn't tell you you can't have sex. He just says not now. So when you get married and it's in the bounds of what God blesses, then you can just make up for all the years you lost. <laughs> Do it like rabbits until... Uh, Tell you've made up for all those years, but God doesn't say not now or, or no. He says not not now because he loves you because sex is not a physical act. It's a spiritual act. And what God has done is the Bible says that, that God has created a male and female and that the two will become one flesh. So only in the bounds of marriage do two people literally become one flesh. You know, you have great relationships with your daughters, with your sons, with your, with your sisters, but only in the bounds of marriage do two people literally become one flesh in this spiritual connection that God makes. And you won't have that connection as much as you can love a brother or a sister or a friend, a daughter, a grandma. You won't have that connection. And, and, and what it is, it's called soul ties. God literally takes two souls and he knits them together. He binds them together in the act of, of sex, in a spiritual act. And then right before that, before he says he'll judge those that do it, what does he say? He says the marriage bed is undefiled. So listen, God, you know, some have taken the idea that sex is just bad. And, and you only have certain doctrines over the years. In the 15th century, it was taught that you only had sex just to have babies and you couldn't. And that's just not what the Bible teaches. God intended it for it to be enjoyable. And God intended it that it, it should be a blessing. And, and Satan has perverted it. And he says here, listen, the marriage bed is undefiled, that, that within the bounds of marriage that God has sanctioned sex. You know, you don't have to, like, tell Jesus, hey, get out of the room and close the door. I'll be back in a few minutes, you know, like, you can't see what's going to happen in here. He's not embarrassed. He designed, he invented, he's the God of heaven who's going to bless you and be with you through, you know, your, your intimacy and your relationships. But because he designed it as a spiritual act that ties souls together, you know, there's a slang word on the streets and guys will say, oh, I got a piece of her. I got a piece of him. And literally, that's the truth. And if you give away too many pieces of your soul, you become empty. And you can see it on the faces of people that are, that are promiscuous and sexually, overly sexually active. Outside the bounds of God's blessing, there's an emptiness in their soul because they've literally given away their parts. And so that God wants to honor um, the, 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 the design of intimacy. And that it is designed for two to come together. And as a married couple, the more you have, the happier you'll be. And, and that God wants it and has designed it. My wife warned me about this verse to keep it PG. I don't know how well I did, but. She even texted me this morning on my way to church to remind me about verse number four. She said, your sons will be in there. So we are, actually this reminds me, we're going to start, I don't know if I've, I don't think I've announced this on a Sunday morning yet, I did on Wednesday nights, but uh, we're going to start a couple's Bible study in January. And so we are super excited about that. We feel like it needs to be in a home in order to make it intimate and, and have just more of a, 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 a home feeling. And, um, and, to, and the purpose of it is to build relationships among you folks where you can meet other couples and things. And, and it is specific for couples. We're going to do things that, you know, because we don't want to isolate you if you're not married and that, that you don't fit into some other things. So we're also going to have men's studies and women's studies going on that, that you'll be welcome to. But specifically for 
couples in January. Be looking for it. We're going to start a home fellowship. We're hoping to get 15 couples. Lydia and I are going to start it in our house um, from January until June. And then we're hoping when we launch the next season in September that we can identify a few leaders from the group that meets in our house that can take uh, smaller groups and, and break away from us. And then if we get start with 15 and we make three groups of five, for the next thing and the multiply and that way if you live in Grantsville or Stansbury or Stockton that there'll be a group that meets closer to your home so the home fellowship specifically for couple study this first season um, be looking for that it's going to be coming up all right I'm out of time I want to still talk about sex but we're got to keep moving on <laughs> so listen God will judge and 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 if you're you know you just you have to wait and it's for you because God loves you but it's something that God um, he warns against seven times in the New Testament it's listed. And then he says um, in verse 5, Let your conduct be without co- covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So listen, the promise of God's presence is so key and vital to your Christian living and being. This, this verse right here where it's repeated, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the, in the original King James, it reads, Lo, Jesus said these words, Lo, I will be with you always until the end of the age. There was a, 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 an immigrant from, from China, and his name was Lo, da, Lo what's his name? Lo Tao Dang. And Lo Tao Dang was a college student, and he was given a Bible, and the guy he sat next to happened to be a Christian, was witnessing to him all the time, and he didn't want anything to do with it. And the guy left him a Bible, and he, and he just threw it away, didn't want nothing to do with it. There was a knock on his door later, and it was a Christian missionary who was passing Bibles and wanted to um, share the gospel of Jesus with this guy, Lo Tao Dang. And he took the Bible that was given when the guy left, and he threw it in the fire in his house, and he went to sleep. The next morning he woke up, and the Bible was completely burned, except for one little section, one little page. And he pulled out this little piece that was unburned in the Bible, and it said, Lo, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. True story. And Lo Tao Dang became a pastor and a leader, and God was calling him and was going to get his attention one way or the other. But God's promise of his presence. You know, the Bible talks about seasons. Listen, we go through life as Christians in seasons. So you have summer seasons and fall seasons and the terrible season we're in right now where I shoveled seven times this week, you know, this winter season and dry seasons. But there there's seasons for a reason. And some people might say, you know, Pastor, I, I just don't feel the presence of God. And I say, that's okay. I go through seasons where I don't feel, and that's why we're in seasons. And, and if you base your Christian living on how you feel and on your feelings, you're going um, to get upset. You're going ha- to struggle. You don't feel God. But here it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Hebrews, he says, um, he will be with us. He'll never leave us, forsa- forsake us. So let me ask you, if you're not feeling the presence of God in your life today, is God with you? Absolutely. So it's that faith in, in the truth of the word of God that regardless whether you feel it or not, God is with you. One of the analogies the Bible gives is that your life is a tree that's, that, that, that that's roots are going down to find the water. And at times the water is not easily accessible. But what happens? The roots have to dig harder and they have to work to get to deeper ground to find that water. And sometimes God in your life, his presence in your life, the feeling is not always right on the surface. And you have to dig a little bit deeper. You have to rely on your faith in verses like this that you know God is with you, even though you don't feel it. And you get into the word and you study and you grow and you, you, your faith grows. And the roots of Christian life are going deeper to look for water. 
And the Bible says what happens in this process is when the wind comes and blows through the top of that tree, those that have roots that, gone, that have gone down to work harder, that tree doesn't blow over. But if all the water's at the top all the time and your roots just don't go anywhere, when the wind, not if, when the wind comes to the top of the tree, those lives, those Christian lives are blown over. So God allows seasons of dryness to get you to dig a little bit deeper, but his presence is with you even in dry seasons. Amen? And then he says, um, one more minute, I know, sorry. It says, verse 7, remember those who rule over you. And the word rule over you, if you have a little margin, it says lead you. Who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conducts. So for anybody who leads you spiritually or encourages you in the things of the Lord, he says to um, remember those who lead you, who have spoken the word and the outcome of their conduct. In verse 8 it just says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's just a staple verse in the Bible, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we don't have a God of the Old Testament, a God of the New Testament. And, you know, we, we do see some things that are different in the way that God functions, but it's, it's the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, um, do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have been profited with those who have been uh, occupied with them. So don't be blown away by every wind of doctrine. Let me tell you guys something really important. You guys ready? Super important as we wrap up today. I know half of you guys are sleeping already, but we're going to wake up. Because we're going to let you go in a minute. Do not be blown away with every wind of doctrine. You got it? And what has happened is that these winds of doctrine, they blow through the church, and they blow in, and they blow out. And you know, one of the things, if, and if I'm bragging a little bit, whatever, forgive me, but Calvary Chapel as a whole, we, we've not been moved by these winds of doctrine that have come through and have come out. We've had people that have followed them, and, but very, very little real effect because of the staple of being people of the Word of God. You know, there was the Toronto blessing and the Kansas City whatever, and this, this stuff that's come through in the last 20 years of different winds you know weird stuff barking in the spirit laughing in the spirit gold falling from the sky in your teeth and you know this is all true stuff trends of that have come through but if we're people of the word if we're genesis to revelation every chapter every verse we're not going to be blown around by every wind of doctrine and then it says verse 10 for we have we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach for here we have for here we have no continuing city but we seek the one to come Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifices of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So I'm going to come back to the sacrifices of praise here in a second. I'm going to read these last couple of verses. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your, for your souls. And those who must give account let them do so with joy and not with grief, 
for what would be unprofitable for you. So those who watch out for your souls, don't give them grief. They have their own um, accounting they're going to do one day before the Lord. So um, let them do it without grief. And then in verse 18, he says, pray for us. We are confident that we have good conscience in all things desiring live honorably. But especially I urge you to do this, that I may restore you to the sooner. Let's have the worship team come up as we wrap up this last verse. Um, and the last part is the benediction. You can read that verse 20 through 25. Um, in verse 12, it says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp in his reproach. I lost it. Where's the sacrifice of praise? Oh, 15. Yeah, I'm right there. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips. What is a sacrifice of praise? You know, I, I think that, you know, for me, praise, it, it, when the greatest times of praise are when it's spontaneous. You know, something just hits you from the Lord. And, and you just spontaneously just cry out to God as you want to worship him in your heart. And those, those are awesome. You know, you made a choice to come to church this morning and to, to worship the Lord. But, but really a sacrifice of praise, it has to be a sacrifice in order for it to fit that. And we see that kind of same idea in the Bible and other places. But I think the sacrifice of praise has to do with a part in a time in life when you just don't want to praise the Lord. There's times in your life you just don't want to go to church. You know when you need to be in church the most? It's when you don't want to go. Whatever's going on in your life, God wants to heal that and touch that and deal with that. And he will if you'll bring yourself to, to, to church. And, and when is it a sacrifice of praise? It's when you're just not feeling it. But if you'll bring yourself to worship the Lord and come to a place of praise, whether you're feeling it or not, God will honor that and you're encouraged to do that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. We're going to sing this last song. Nobody's excused until this song is over. Okay, it's two minutes. God... Bless you. It's two minutes of your life. I've already wasted 40 of them, so what's two more? Um, hey, during this time, we just want to reflect if God spoke to your heart on something. There's something today that the Holy Spirit did apart from us. You know, what we do here is we try to give God an opportunity to speak. We sang that song that I said, if I could write a song, that would be my song. And it says, you know, Spirit come, Spirit come, Spirit come. And, and it says, fill this house. You understand that when we, when we sing a, a worship song that says, for the Spirit of God to fill this house, we're not talking about the church. Because the church is actually not the building, it's the people. You are the church. You are the bride of Christ. And so when we say, Spirit, fill this house, we're talking about this house, this body, this temple. The Bible says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And so this last song is just to reflect and say, God, is there something in my life? Worship the Lord. Take advantage of every opportunity. We're going to open the prayer room today. So as you leave out the doors to the sanctuary, if you make a right, lunch is waiting. Somewhere, whatever restaurant you've chosen. The parking lot. If you make a left, there's some folks that are just going to be set up over there. And if you want to, if you need some extra prayer, and it can be for anything, somebody who's sick in your life, something you got going on, you just want to talk to somebody, you want to pray with somebody, the prayer team will be over there. And we'll be there just to meet your needs and pray for you. We'll also have um, uh, Pat here. He's going to be up front um, to pray for you. If you'd like individual prayer, you can come forward. Or when the song ends, you can, you can go out of the sanctuary and make a left in, in the prayer room. If you don't know Christ, 
If you're new to the church or you just don't have Jesus, you're not sure if you're saved, we have some Bibles. We'll give you a Bible. And um, if you borrowed a Bible and you don't own a Bible, please keep that. That's our gift to you. If you need a Bible, please take one because we want you to be people of the Word. Just read the Bible and simply start. Asking Jesus into your heart to be the Lord and Savior is just the beginning. There's a cost of discipleship. There's a cost to being a Christ follower. But, but to, to initially put your faith in Jesus is where it all begins. And so I want to give you opportunity to do that. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're not sure today, if you're a believer in Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And it's a prayer of salvation. And if you mean this in your heart, if it's a real surrender you want to make of your life and you want Jesus to take over your life, God will hear this prayer and he will honor it and you will become born again and saved in this very moment of placing your faith in Jesus. And God knows who means it and who's just saying it. And it has to come from the heart. If you mean this, I want you to pray. And I ask the rest of the church to pray with me and pray with us so that we don't single anybody out. But if we could pray together, and as you pray this, the Lord sees and knows your heart. And if it's you today that's asking Jesus to change your life, he's going to honor that request and that prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I realize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. So again, will you guys hang out for one song? And then when we're done, go get your kids.